Welcome to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. I'm Josh Elledge, founder and CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We believe that every person has a unique message which can positively impact the world. Now, on this podcast, your host, veteran radio personality Jennifer Longworth, encourages entrepreneurs to share not only their expertise, but their stories and their hearts. You're going to love this show. You're going to hear real stories from real people on The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. So let's go. I'm a big believer that brands should evolve and change, and I call it the motion of a brand. And it's not this big shiny object that you put up on a pedestal and protect at all costs. It needs to change from time to time. So those values and the mission you have up on your wall, maybe they change. This is Jennifer Longworth, and today's Thoughtful Entrepreneur is Dan Hill. Dan is the CEO of Hill Impact, an integrated strategic communications and government relations firm located in Washington, D.C. For more than 20 years, Dan has guided organizations and high-profile individuals through complex issues, including crises. He is among the most sought-after and quoted experts on brand and reputation management in the nation. His clients include Fortune 100 multinational corporations, global nonprofits, and notable names in the sports and entertainment industries. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. I'm really happy to be with you. Absolutely. And you are head of Hill Impact now, but this wasn't your first business venture in consulting. Tell me a little bit about your entrepreneur journey along the way. What got you started in wanting to do your own thing anyway? Wow. It's going to take me back a while. I I actually had my first business when I was in elementary school. It was illegal, but I didn't know it was illegal. I was, <laughs> I'm a music lover and a friend of mine, he and I started a, a little company at our elementary school where we were selling the uh, albums that we owned on cassette tape. And we were basically pirating music, not knowing that that was against the law. And we were building quite a little business in El Paso, Texas, and lots of people were ordering our albums uh, on cassette. And we were making a 50% margin and thought making a few hundred dollars a month in fifth grade that we were rolling in it. And yeah, uh, we want someone who understood parents, teachers, all kinds of people were buying our music. And then finally, someone who understood that that wasn't okay, uh, informed us, which uh, I'm grateful for. But I was way ahead of Napster. (laughs) I was gonna say this is pre Napster way back in the day. That's all. Were you doing custom mixtapes or just what you already had? Mostly just the albums. I, okay. I I joined uh, that Columbia House Records, which was a big <laughs> thing back in the day, yeah. and quite a scam. Yeah. And I had lo- and I had multiple <laughs> memberships, which my parents were not happy with because you ultimately end up paying a big price for it. But I right. had lots of albums, and so did my friend, and it was fun. That's awesome. But you've kind of graduated from that and are now not doing illegal things in your business, right? Yeah, trying to so avoid that. We're quite we're quite the antithesis of that. We we actually help companies and organizations that go through crisis. So I guess maybe my first crisis was my own. I had worked for a governor and had worked in business and decided that what I wanted to do at a young age in my 20s was to chart my own course. And I felt like I had a style and a way of doing things that was different than what I was finding from others. And Mm -hmm. I thought I could build a business. And I went out and started my little 
communications company in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And before long, we were growing and I had to move to D.C. And it was a great journey. Is that what you're doing now or is that a previous? No, that was a previous iteration. And I uh, and then I went back and started working for in in in-house for companies and then again, grew frustrated by the type of consulting firms that were out there, some of the malpractice. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, now I don't have just the energy and the vigor that I had when I was young. I also have the experience and the credibility. So let me do, my first firm was successful, but let me go do this the right way. And so this is my second version of it, Hill Impact, and we're loving it. So what are you doing differently this time that you didn't do the first time? I think when I was young, I had to kind of put on that my, you know, why do you hire a young person to be a strategic communications expert and help a, a major brand? And, I, and so it had to all be about my ideas. And now I've been able to bring not just the ideas and the energy, but also the experience and having been through so many different things that over a number of decades, companies hire me in nonprofits because of that experience, not just the ideas. And making sure that you have processes in place that make your operations run better. Those are things I didn't care about when I was young. I, I was all about getting the business and doing the work and didn't care so much about keeping the company operating properly. So not so much the business side of a business. Correct. Which is kind of important. But entrepreneurs ain't got time for business. They're too busy with their business to do their business. Right. If it weren't for the employees and the clients, you know, I'd have a lot more time on my hands. Well, there's that. <laughs> so what type of consulting do you do with Hill Impact? Some would call it PR, but it's more strategic communications and brand development. A lot of our clients are multinational corporations. Some of them are for- Fortune 100. And then we also have some large nonprofits, and we will help them develop their brand, position themselves to achieve their objectives with key stakeholders, and make sure that people perceive them as a leader in whatever it is they're doing, whether it's youth advocacy or autonomous vehicles. That's a big chunk of it. And then another part of our business is helping organizations through crisis. And sometimes it's not organizations, it's high-profile individuals, actors, mm-hmm. athletes, you name it. And how do you recover your brand once you've gone through a challenge? And how do you make sure you don't make the crisis worse with right. your actions? And so that's a big chunk of what we do also. When I was in school a few years ago, it probably it a journalism or PR class or something, that was one of the things we talked about and some case studies of extremely mismanaged crisis responses. And it's like, are you just digging the hole deeper here or you want to fix this and turn around and respond appropriately? And a lot of people get into crisis mode. It's fight or flight. And oh my gosh, what do I do? And eh, they don't always make the best decision. So the best decision is to call someone like you an outside perspective to get them thinking clearly, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. I was a firefighter in college, a volunteer, and I went to this emergency response mass casualty school. And one of the things I remember most about that is 
on the first day of class, they said that the incident command center isn't right next to the crisis. It's usually many blocks away. And that's to give distance from the leaders who are managing the issue so that they can make the right decisions. It's the same with crisis. When you're too close to it, when you know the people involved, when you are concerned about whatever the liability and risk might be for the organization or your own personal, it's hard to make the right decisions. So whether it's us or someone else, it is good to get outside advice. The big thing I try to stress with people is make sure you get people who actually know what they're doing and are competent in crisis because it isn't just PR on steroids. It is a different discipline. There are lots of legal nuances to it, and you want to be sure you have the right team. Is there a certain type of crisis you see recurring across different companies? Yeah, there are patterns, and I've been looking at those patterns for a few decades. One of the things I'll tell entrepreneurs is that you're going to have a crisis, and it's going to define you, and it's going to define you either positively, and that can happen, or it's going to define you negatively. Thinking and hoping that it's not going to happen isn't a great strategy. And all you have to do (laughs) is look at marquee brands like Starbucks, Chevrolet, Uber, United. They have big teams and big infrastructure, and yet they still have themselves uh, a crisis from time to time, and they also mismanage them. It can happen (laughs) to anyone, and it is going to happen. And the biggest thing I'm seeing, a lack of governance is the one where you don't have a board that is really holding up its fiduciary responsibilities or key officers in the organization aren't being held accountable. And mission creep where an organization loses sight of what its goal is and it chases Mm. something. It chases the news cycle or it chases an opportunity and gets away from what it's good at. Those are two things that I would caution any entrepreneur about. So you mentioned mission. So how, how important is that to an organization, keeping track of your mission and your values? So when I went through those exercises when I was starting my first firm and I also went through them with clients, Early in my career, this is one thing that's changed. I thought it wasn't that important. I felt it felt really like facilitated and almost corny at times. <laughs> and now I look at it and it's everything. Your mission and your values and your charter, that's what defines an organization or it's what it should define an organization. And you look at Uber. They started off as a disruptor. They were going right. to take the market by storm. They were going to move fast. They were going to be bold. They were going to be irreverent. And then they established themselves. And they had to be that in the beginning to a certain extent, but they never pivoted. They never moved into being a full-fledged operations company. And they kept that disruptor mentality, even though they were working in a heavily regulated space. And it cost right. them dearly. And they're, they're trying to make up for that now. But yes, I think mission and values are everything, especially now. It's more important than ever. Well, you've been in this field for a few decades, you say. How have you seen social media play into it? Because we know one tweet can explode and destroy a company, or so it feels. Have you seen this, felt this, how social media plays into this? And it's it's media in general. Because when I started, I and I'll come to the social media, when I started, it was the daily newspaper and the evening news. And if the crisis happened late at night, you had basically 24 hours to manage it because you would miss the daily news run. And Mm -hmm. then 
you wouldn't, it would be until the evening news. So you had time. So the 24 hour news cycle, the internet, all of those have changed things. Social media has created an interesting phenomenon and it's all around citizen journalism and accountability. And a lot of people complain about it. For me, it hasn't changed my life all that much other than it's a new tool for listening. And that's the biggest thing I would encourage entrepreneurs to do is to to use social media to listen to their stakeholders, listen to their employees, listen to their competitors. You don't have to be on broadcast all the time. You can sit back and hear what others are having to say. And that's a great thing about social media. What it does in terms of a crisis, it can ignite something, as you said, but it tends to blow over pretty quickly these days because our attention spans are so short. You mentioned United a little bit ago. And they've had more than one. It it feels like they just keep getting slammed. But do you feel that they're managing it effectively? They're not out of business yet. So, no, I don't think they managed the first few crises effectively. And this goes back to your question about mission. Let's take the gentleman who got dragged off of the plane. Their answer that day and a few days earlier when the young women were denied access because they were wearing leggings was all about policy. It's our policy this, we have a policy for that, we have a procedure for this. Yet, if you go to the United website, you will find a page on mission and values. And one of their Mm -hmm. values is we fly friendly. So (laughs) if I were the CEO of United and your lawyers are saying, you don't want to say you're sorry because that's an admission of guilt. You don't want to apologize because that creates legal risk. But Your mission and values, those are your own standard. That's not a legal standard. So Mm -hmm. I would, if I were the CEO, I would have said, you know what? Our value is to fly friendly and we didn't do that today and we need to get to the bottom of it. And I think that kind of empathy and heartfelt response is what the company has been missing in a lot of its handling of crises. And it happens a lot with companies. They get bogged down in the data and policies and forget the human element. So always keep coming back to that mission and the values, you know, constantly aligning yourself. I have the mission value for our company posted on my bulletin board. So if I forget what it is, I can just look, oh, <laughs> what are we, what are we doing here? Oh, right. It's right here. I can't, I can read it at any time. <laughs> Maybe I'm a geek for having that done or whatever. But like you said, it feels corny when you're coming up with these because of set in meetings where we brainstorm, what are our missions and values, blah, blah, blah. And it can go on ad nauseum, but then if you're able to have that established in front of you and actually live it and work it, and if there's a question of what we do here, going back to that, that can solve a lot of problems, it sounds like. Completely. And it becomes your answer in the face of a crisis. It becomes one of your values is continuous improvement. And you're united. You can say, look, we value getting better. And we value getting learning lessons from our mistakes. And that's what we're going to do. And we have a way of some a process we're going to go through to make sure that we don't make this mistake again, or that at least we learn from it. The process can be corny, but the outcome is paramount to the success of an organization. And by the way, I'm a big believer that brands should evolve and change. And I, and I call it the motion of a brand. And it's not this big shiny object that you put up on a pedestal and protect at all costs. It needs to change from time to time. So those values and the mission you have up on your wall, maybe they change in a month or a year and that's okay. 
It's totally acceptable to be reevaluating these things. Yeah. Say, yes, we fly the friendly skies. No, wait, maybe not. <laughs> wait, uh, no, that's not what I meant. Uh, <laughs> but reevaluating it if you feel that your company is going in a different direction than what you had originally thought, perhaps it's time to reevaluate if you still have the same mission and goals, right? Correct. You got to be in motion and that have that energy about the way you operate. Doesn't mean you lose your core tenant, but maybe the market's changed. Maybe the -hmm. service that you're providing's changed. Maybe you've changed and you should be. I'm not you, Jennifer. You seem perfect, but of course. But but see, I'm perfect now. I was not perfect before. So you get me now on episode 13 or whatever. (laughs) Now, even if you'd caught me on episode one of this podcast, I not too long ago, I've probably changed a little bit even since then. So Shark Tank's Mark Cuban has said in the past to never hire a PR firm again. Now, what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree? No. I mean, Mark, I like Mark. He knows his stuff, and I would never say that he's not a sick guy. Clearly, the guy knows what he's doing. But on this topic, I think he has come across maybe some malpractice, maybe people who didn't get it. Our firm and what we do is all about the bottom line. If we're not helping a client save money or make money or achieve their bigger objectives, then we're not doing our job. And I think what he's come across is people who are selling buzz. Like, Mm. look at the IHOP thing. And they changed IHOP to IHOB. And they created buzz. And when you listen to them talk about it and their marketing team, they're so excited because a million more people talked about them on social media. Well, buzz doesn't equal sales. Oh, I didn't go to IHOP just because I did that. I just thought it was funny. I was amused, but... Yeah. So Mark, Mark's run into that where people think that num- I think people sold him that the number of followers and the number of tweets and the number of impressions in the media matters. And that's not what it's really about. So I think he would have a different feel and opinion of it if he had come across real practitioners who understand strategy and business and how to grow organizations, because that's what he's about, the bottom line. Yeah, because PR can be done very poorly and very wrongly and just selling the buzz and just shouting, shouting, shouting. Whereas earlier you, you mentioned with social media, it can be a good listening tool and learning to use social media and other platforms properly is more effective. You know, engaging and developing relationships is called social media. Whereas like the IHOP thing, well, that was funny. Ha ha ha. Wendy's tweets were great in response to it. So more kudos to Wendy's and the other restaurants for their amusing tweets almost. It's just something to laugh about, but I haven't gone to try their burgers. No. You know, when you say you're changing your name, that also implies that you're changing probably a few other things. Mm -hmm. And when people arrive and they get the same look and feel, the same decor, the same customer service, that you've created an expectation that's not there. I don't know that people really thought, IHOP was changing into a restaurant that if they hadn't frequented before that they would go to. But You get a little bit of credibility with your vanity metrics, but if people aren't coming through the door, they don't mean anything. Well, one thing I, I did an interview about that with USA Today this morning, and one of the things I said is that with these gimmicks, and I would encourage 
entrepreneurs to think about this themselves. Anytime you're misleading stakeholders, and I would include the media who covers IHOP on a day-to-day basis, analysts who cover them, and you mislead them to make them a part of a marketing ploy, you're going to upset some of your most important stakeholders. And Mm. there were people who got in trouble for writing stories about the name change from their editors who were angry that they didn't do enough research. And I don't know why you would go out of your way to upset stakeholders, especially the ones who write about you. That doesn't sound like a good idea. (laughs) So what other advice do you have for our thoughtful entrepreneur who's listening? The reason that I'm an entrepreneur is not because I'm a risk taker and all the things that go along with what people say, even though I am those things. It's because I like to have an imprint and I like to uh, make a difference. To the extent that you can really focus on being that difference maker and finding your place and making sure that, you know, a niche market isn't a bad thing. And trying to be all things to all people isn't generally successful when you're starting out. And just making sure you're doing everything that you can to do what you say you're going to do well and honoring your commitment. A lot goes into it. It's high stress. It's hugely rewarding, but you have to have the perseverance to stick through the tough times and for everyone. So if people want to learn more about you and what you do, how can they connect with you online, Dan? Well, I'm on Twitter a lot, and it's at Hill Impact. And I like having conversations on Twitter. I listen to people, but I also will respond if people have questions. And our website is hillimpact.com. I love this conversation and would love it to continue with some of your listeners. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for listening to The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. If you are a thoughtful entrepreneur who would like to be a media celebrity and be on our show, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest and attend my next live webinar where I'll reveal how to get more respect from influencers and media so that you can get more sales and traffic. Now, please do us a favor. If you like the guest that was just interviewed, would you share this episode on social media and in your podcast player right now? please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill our mission to help create more media celebrities. Make sure to hit subscribe, binge listen to our previous episodes, and we'll send you the next episode automatically. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Revolution.